Ladies and gentlemen, we are delighted you all are here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we are pleased to welcome into our midst today uh, the Reverend David Booman uh, from St. Michael's in Charleston. Uh, I'm going to let David introduce himself and tell you a little bit of his story at the beginning, but we are excited to have him with us uh, teaching on prayer and the prayers in the context of Acts 242. Um, you have your Bibles on your table, and so feel free to grab those and use those as he teaches us. Um, come on over, David. Let's open with a word of prayer. Uh, I think it's probably bad form to do a teaching on prayer without actually praying. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for all your mighty works. We thank you for this day, for the honor and privilege of coming into your house uh, to study your word. We ask your blessing now on our teacher, David. Pray that his words would be your words and that through your grace and through your mercy and through the unimaginable power of your Holy Spirit, they would uh, transform our hearts and shape our very lives. Uh, we pray that all that we do at this time through the power of your Holy Spirit would be pleasing in your sight, would bring glory to your name. And we pray that you would use uh, this food, this time, this teaching to strengthen us to go out into the world and be ambassadors for your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What well, is great to, uh, to be with you today. Thank you for the warm invitation. Deeply honored and, and grateful. I don't actually know Ken real well. Um, but we've gotten to know each other a little bit, clergy things around the diocese, and, and I've always thought when I see him, I've thought, that guy has the joy of the Lord. That guy has the joy of the Lord. I wish I had more of that. And so um, I'm hoping in our time together, not only will I be able to share a little bit about prayer, but I hope I catch some of that joy. I, I see it in you as well. So thank you uh, for having me. Um, a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm not a super interesting kind of guy, but just a little bit of background. Um, I'm a long way from home. Where I come from, there's still uh, snow on the ground. I'm from Minnesota. Uh, we'll have snow through July. Um, that's not so far from the truth. So it's a glorious thing being down here. I went to a school in uh, Wisconsin, Viterbo University, which is a small uh, Franciscan school. Uh, got a, a religious studies degree. An interesting thing about Viterbo University is it's a, um, it's a Catholic school, and so they actually have a convent on campus. And within the convent, they have a chapel of perpetual adoration where uh, nuns have been praying 24-7 uh, for 120 years uh, without a break. At one point, 100 years ago, the convent burned down, and you can actually see where the smoke and the fire damage went, and it stopped right before the little chapel, and you can still see the, the smoke, and when you walk in, I'd encourage you, if you're ever in Wisconsin, go in July, don't go now, but go in July, <laughs> and, uh, and go in that chapel, and you can feel the presence of God in a mysterious but very tangible way. So, so anyway, I went to Viterbo, got my undergrad, went to um, Trinity School for Ministry in Pittsburgh, where lots of the clergy uh, in our diocese go. 
I'll share some stories um, of how I experienced uh, God through prayer and seminary, how that changed my life. Uh, I came down uh, after seminary to Charleston in 2010 with my wife, Katie, to serve as a chaplain to Roper St. Francis uh, in downtown Charleston and uh, had just a marvelous experience there. Um, just saw God answer a lot of prayers in some pretty dire circumstances. And then after I finished uh, that chaplaincy residency, I ended up at uh, St. Michael's uh, downtown, which just happens to be the, um, I guess it's the, the church that kind of pioneered or brought into the diocese uh, the healing prayer ministry back in the 80s. That's what I've been told. And so wherever I've gone, I just had this kind of wonderful experience of, of learning more about prayer. And so I, I'm not an expert, but um, I'll share whatever I know and, and hope it's a blessing. Uh, I am married to Katie. We have uh, two little boys who are five and three. I'll share a story about them and how prayer has um, really brought one of them into this world. And uh, we have one uh, more little boy on the way who is due in uh, May. It's in about five weeks. So I need a lot of prayer. And my wife, <laughs> so please keep us in prayer. Um, so we're going to be looking at prayer today, as Ken said, uh, starting in Acts 2.42, after the day of Pentecost. We read the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So one of the key things that the early church uh, devoted themselves to was the prayers. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see that prayer is everywhere. Everywhere you turn, somebody is praying. And so we're going to look at some of the, the themes of prayer, some of the models of prayer uh, that we find in the book of Acts. But most importantly, my hope in prayer is that as we look to God's word and as we share and reflect about prayer, it won't just be head knowledge we'll be taking in. My hope is that we'll actually be touched by the living God. Our hearts will be touched. Our souls and spirits will be shaped. We'll be empowered to embrace prayer in a deeper way than we have before. Uh, there's a scene in the movie Braveheart. Who here has ever seen the movie Braveheart? Mel Gibson. Yeah, so good. There's one scene where one of the Scottish nobles, Robert the Bruce, he betrays the hero, William Wallace, uh, to the English. And Wallace's army, the good guys, they're just massacred on the plains of Scotland. And yet, even though Robert the Bruce's uh, plan works, he's racked with guilt. He knows he's done something wrong. He's betrayed an innocent man. And so, uh, after this, he laments to his father what he has done, and he says, um, again, he says, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, he's in tears. I'm so grieved by what I've done. His father says in response, this kind of soothing cynicism, he says, all men betray. All men lose heart. All men betray. All men lose heart. And Robert the Bruce, in response, he kind of steps back from his father and again, he has tears in his eyes, and he says, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. I want to believe. And I wonder if that is not the deep and inarticulate cry of, of all of our hearts. I want to believe. I want to believe that this stuff is real. When we read the book of Acts, I want to believe that it is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago, 
that my life can be saved and transformed and freed and healed and restored and empowered in the same way that people experienced back then. And so my hope is that our time together um, will actually experience this. As Paul prayed uh, at the end of the book of Romans, he said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So as we look to prayer, kind of at the ground floor, it's probably worth noting that prayer means many different things to many different sorts of people. There's all kinds of models out there, even uh, within the Christian church. And for me, my uh, first experience of prayer, when I was just a a real little guy, was a prayer that my parents taught me, and you might categorize it as a formula prayer or a rote prayer. Uh, It's something you pray kind of um, just by habit, and usually the faster the better, the faster the better. So again, my my parents were very conscientious when they were teaching me things. They taught me uh, and trained me to do two things. One was to pray every night before I went to bed, and so I would dutifully pray, Dear God, thank you for this day. Please bless Mom and Dad and Nan and Lizzie and Coot. Amen. And I prayed that every night. The other thing my parents taught me to do is to answer the phone. And so I'd answer the phone and I would say, hello, this is uh, Dr. Booman's residence, David speaking. And I got these scripts down pretty good. (laughs) However, one day they got a little bit shuffled in my brain. And I actually answered the phone, dear God, please bless mom and dad and Nana and Lizzie. And I still don't know what the other person on the line thought, except perhaps they reached some strange prayer hotline. Uh, So what really is Christian prayer? Um, Tim Keller writes this. He says, prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. Prayer is the key to everything we do, everything we want to be in life. And then he defines prayer specifically as a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. And so prayer is our response to the knowledge of God, and it is the key to everything. So no pressure on me this morning to talk about prayer, right? Sharing the most important thing in life with you. But of course, ultimately prayer is important because it's how we develop our relationship with God. We respond to God's love through prayer. Ephesians 2.18 is a great description of prayer. Paul writes this, he says, Through Jesus we have access to the Father by one spirit. Through Jesus we have access to the Father by one spirit. So the whole trinity is actually involved in prayer. When we pray, through Jesus we have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit takes us into the very presence of of God. So Nicky Gumbel tells this uh, story of a soldier during the Civil War, and he was sitting in a park bench in uh, Washington, D.C., and he, um, he was trying to request a military exemption. His family had all kinds of needs back home, and he really had to take care of his family. He was trying to request a military exemption from the war, but he couldn't 
um, talk to the right people. He couldn't get the paperwork signed. It just was not working for him. And so he was discouraged. He was distraught. He was um, sitting on this park bench with his head in his hands. When all of a sudden this little boy approaches him. And he says, what, what's going on? And for some reason the soldier just pours out his story to this little boy. And the boy listens and he says, come with me. So he takes the soldier by the hand and they start walking from the park. And the boy actually leads him into the White House. And he leads him um, not through the normal entrance, but he leads him through a back way. They go in the door. The guards don't say anything. He leads him directly into the Oval Office. And there's President Lincoln with some of his generals. And whatever they're doing, the president stops and he looks up. And he says, son, what can I do for you? And the little boy says, dad, the soldier needs to talk to you. The soldier had access through the sun into the presence of the power that can change everything. So that's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians. We have access through Jesus, through his shed blood, into the Father's presence, not on our own right, but because of what Christ has done for us. And that's really what prayer is. It's coming into the Father's presence. We can speak with him, we can relate with him, we can commune with him, we can abide with him, we can receive from him in the most intimate way possible. And we see this in Acts. We see what launches them into prayer is the day of Pentecost. They encounter the living God in an incredible way. The fire of God falls. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in other tongues. They're empowered for ministry. They know God's love in a way they never had before. And the rest is history. The rest is history. The church goes forward from that, that encounter with God. As Tim Keller said, prayer is our response to God, to knowing God. When I was um, 12 years old, I had a... Um, not exactly an analogous experience, but a similar experience. It changed my life. I was 12 years old. I went to, um, we had our, our church had a weekly uh, Wednesday night service, prayer and praise. And it was great. It was fun. At the end of the service, we always had prayer time. And so you could walk up to the front of the church and prayer ministers would pray with you. And this was just kind of the thing to do. And I'd done it many times before. But this one Wednesday night... I went up to the front, and the prayer ministers laid hands on me, and they started praying. And all of a sudden, I felt the presence of God in a way that I never had before or ever have since. And I have to tell you, it, it wasn't a warm and fuzzy feeling. It was like the Alpha and the Omega was right there with me. It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. It was frightening. And it was kind of like there was this gravitational weight that was kind of pushing me down. And so I like fell on the floor on my knees and then on my face uh, right into the carpet. I'd, nothing like this had ever happened to me before, but I simply could not stand up. In the midst of that, I, I suddenly began to feel the weight of my sins. And as a 10-year-old boy, you wouldn't think I could have done too many bad things. But I felt it. I felt it so acutely, the weight of my sins. 
And it broke my heart. It was just this tremendous grief I felt at how I had broken God's heart by what I'd done. And I just began weeping, laying on the floor. And I have to tell you, for a a 10-year-old Scandinavian with an adolescence primal horror of public embarrassment. <laughs> this is something I never would have dreamed of doing, but I, I didn't really have a choice. And I began just weeping and weeping. I had no idea how long I was there. But then I began to feel something else. And I began to feel God's love. And it was just like waves, golden waves of love just washing over me, one after another, and I could feel my sins being washed away. I could feel that I was forgiven. Eventually, I came to myself. I have no idea to this day how long I was on that floor. I sort of came to myself, and I looked up and saw everybody. And, and the amazing thing was that after that experience, as I looked around the room, I felt greater love for the people around me than I ever had before. And I just started hugging whoever was near me. I just, I just loved them so much. I just started hugging total strangers. Total strangers. But from that moment on, my life has never been the same. I've known that I've encountered the living God. That he's real. He's not an idea. That he loves me. That he's personal. He's relational. And that's what we see on Pentecost. That's kind of the key to prayer is having that experience, that encounter with God. Romans 8, 15, Paul says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So this is the greatest prayer any of us can pray. Abba, Father. This is the great gift of the New Testament is that Jesus has made a way for us to come into God's presence and address him as Father, a term of endearment, of intimacy, of of affection and love. It's almost impossible uh, to put it into words, but it's the heart of prayer. If you don't relate to God in that kind of way, it's hard to have a conversation with somebody you don't really know or haven't experienced, somebody in a distant land. So it's actually encountering God, knowing God is the source and foundation of prayer. And it's an emotional piece. There's, there's real emotion to it. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the greatest, if not the greatest minds in American history, he wrote this. He said, he who has no religious affection or emotion is in a state of spiritual death and is wholly destitute of the powerful, quickening, saving influences of the Spirit of God. It's that essential to have that emotional, spiritual connection with God. For myself, the best way I can uh, describe what's that, what's that like, um, in my own life, uh, when I come home from work, at the end of the day, usually I'm tired and worn out and juggling all kinds of things, but the best moment of my day, every day, the absolute highlight, is when I come home from work and I open the front door and I hear this noise and it's something like this. And what is that? I hear my two little boys 
come running before I see them. And as I come in the door, I, I always, I drop on my knees, and they come running in, and I give them a big bear hug, and we just love each other in that moment. Just love each other. It's the best part of my day. And for me, that is an image of God's love for us, what, what Christ has called us into, what happened on the day of Pentecost. God wants more than anything else to embrace us, to love us, so that we know, that we know, that we know that we are children of God. As Paul says, the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are his children. Now you may think this is a little bit overly emotional, even for a a Norwegian. (laughs) Let me uh, quote Tim Keller again, though. He said this. He said, If we are going to be unbalanced in our religious life, better that we be doctrinally weak and have a vital prayer life and a real sense of God on the heart than we get all our doctrine straight and be cold and spiritually hard. That's one of the greatest minds in American Christianity to say. And he's saying, focus on the prayer, focus on the heart. It's even more important than the doctrine. So again, prayer is fundamentally about access to God, intimacy with him. It's an experience of love. This intimacy then leads us into praise, into worship, and into the prayer of of thanksgiving. You see this throughout the book of Acts. Again, Acts 2.47, the disciples are praising God. They're having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I believe you're going to be focusing on that next week. But it's as they're praising God, worshiping God, the Lord is swelling their ranks. Acts 4.21, when they had further uh, threatened the disciples, they let Peter and John go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Even amidst the persecution, they're praising God for what had happened. We see that again in Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in prison. What are they doing? Praise in God, praying, singing hymns. Praise is, is again, an essential part of prayer. It's always the place to begin. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, start with praise. What does it look like to to praise God? Um, There's no uh, magical formula in the Bible. Uh, What I would suggest and what works well for me is just to start telling God who he is. And thanking him for who he is. And the cool thing in the Bible is there are so many uh, attributes and names for God that reveal different facets of his character. And so just, just start praying. You know, Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning and the end, the Ancient of Days. You're the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of Judah. You're my Rescuer, my Redeemer, my Rock. You're my Refuge. You're the Way and the Truth and the Life. You're a Good Shepherd. You're a Good Father the Father of mercies, you're the God of all comfort, you're the healer, the comforter, the advocate, you're my friend. Praise God with who he is. And as you do that, just think about which, which of those attributes is really hitting your heart on a given day, and then just sit with that, savor that. Think about how that applies to your life today. Lord, how are you my rescuer today? How are you my friend today? How do I need you today? Just celebrate that it's true, that that's actually who he is. I found as I've um, 
grown in, in pray, and praise, it's really shaped uh, the rest of my prayer life. So once we've experienced God's love and intimacy, we're caught up in praise, uh, then things start happening. Uh, things start happening. Surprising things start happening as we go deeper in prayer. We see this throughout the book of Acts. Um, prayer changes things. So for example, in Acts 3, Peter and John, they heal a lame beggar. In Acts 9, uh, Paul has been knocked off his horse. He's blind. And Ananias prays for Paul, and his sight is restored. In Acts 10, Peter heals Aeneas, who has been bedridden for eight years. Again, in Acts 10, uh, Tabitha is dead. Everybody's weeping and mourning. What does Peter do? He, he walks in to the bedroom. He kneels at Tabitha's bedside, and he prays. And God restores her life. Acts 16, as I mentioned, Paul and Silas are in prison praying and singing. And what happens? Yeah. They're miraculously delivered from prison. Acts 28, uh, Paul is shipwrecked. Uh, the guy on the, the island where they end up, Publius, has um, fever and dysentery. So he's in a world of hurt. If you've ever had fever and dysentery, Paul prays for him. And he is healed. So all of these examples and moments of how prayer changes things throughout the book of Acts. So when I was in seminary, I uh, came down with Lyme's disease about halfway through seminary. Who knows what Lyme's disease is? Yeah, it's no fun, let me tell you. It's no fun. It's a, uh, it's a neurological bacteria you get from a deer tick. Out in the woods, tick bites you, injects this um, bacteria into your body, and it just wreaks havoc if it's not caught early. Uh, mine was not diagnosed for a number of months, and so by the time it was finally diagnosed, I was um, almost incapacitated. My whole body hurt all the time. For me to uh, t uh, turn a doorknob, I needed to use both hands to turn a doorknob. I couldn't rotate uh, my wrists. My jaws were so swollen that to eat anything, I couldn't put anything above the bowl of the spoon because I couldn't open my jaws wide enough to, to put a, a heaping helpful in. Every night I'd have uh, fevers. I'd sweat through all my clothes. Every day I'd walk to class. My back would spasm. My legs would spasm and cramp, just even sitting in class. And the worst thing was, because it's a neurological uh, bacteria, it really messes with your brain. And so I became uh, terribly depressed and discouraged. I couldn't study. I couldn't focus. Um, I've never been suicidal. Uh, but that's the closest I've ever been. And I remember uh, going to bed at night and just saying, you know, God, if I don't wake up in the morning, that's okay with me. I can't live like this. And it, I, you take me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. So it was rough. It was a dark, dark place. Eventually, I was finally diagnosed. They gave me a whole bunch of antibiotics. It sort of took the edge off, but it did not bring healing or restoration. Uh, I still felt terrible. I was seriously considering dropping out of seminary because I simply couldn't study. I couldn't get anything done. I was trying to learn Hebrew, and you're just... <laughs> as hard as it is. Um, 
eventually we had a guest speaker come to seminary. He was this kind of uh, international evangelist type. And uh, I really didn't want to go hear him. Because when you're really suffering, the last thing in the world you want to hear is how wonderful someone else's life is. <laughs> and just to be honest, that's the last thing you want to hear. But I had a friend of mine who dragged me to hear this guy, heard him speak. It was great. At the end of his talk, he said, um, happy to pray with anyone if anyone wants to receive prayer. And I felt, well, I have nothing to lose. I might as well go up. Uh, I should also mention one other thing, which is I'd also, uh, at that time, just broken up with my girlfriend. So I had this whole other layer of devastation in my life from that. Um, so I went up to receive prayer. The guy, he doesn't even ask me what to pray for. He, he just asks me, what's my name? And then he starts praying for me. And the remarkable thing is that through the Holy Spirit, he prays directly into my situation. He says, you've been in a season of trial and testing and I'm here to say the Lord is about to bring you out. He's about to heal you. And he shared more about what my future ministry was going to be like. And then, kind of as the icing on the cake, he said, and I also get the sense the Lord is going to be bringing your future wife into your life pretty soon. And that was it. So, nothing happened in that moment, but lo and behold, from that moment, all of a sudden, I began to feel better. Slowly, Surely that progression of healing began to take place in my life. And six months later, after that prayer, I began dating my future wife, Katie. Totally changed my life. I'm here today because of the power of prayer. Because some guy knew his father very well and knew how to pray in his name through the Holy Spirit. I have a friend of mine, his name is Amos Krishnan. I was with him yesterday. He's from Mumbai, India. He's only been in the United States for nine months. He came here nine months. He didn't know a single person on this continent. But he's a Christian. And so he prayed, God, uh, I need community. I need to get to know some people. So a week after he arrived, lo and behold, we met at a swimming pool. We started talking. It turns out he's a Christian, I'm a Christian. I say, you know, um, want to come to church with me on Sunday? He says, sure. Comes to St. Michael's with me. The sermon was on the prophet Amos. My friend's name is Amos Krishnan. It's the first time in his entire life that he'd ever heard a sermon on Amos. It's one of those beautiful signs that God was leading him, guiding him. He was able to connect to this community. He's now in conversations. We were talking yesterday about going to ministry school in the coming months. All because God answered his prayer in a big way, connected him just in that moment of need. St. Michael's, we, uh, we do a lot of praying, a lot of healing prayer. We really believe in it, and we've seen some pretty cool things. I'll just share a couple. We, uh, there's a guy, his name's David Richardson. He's a leader in the church. He once had really bad TMJ, where your jaw is out of alignment. It's causing all this terrible uh, pain in his head and headaches and all sorts of things. He came to our Wednesday night healing service, received prayer. Nothing big and fancy, just five minutes or so. As they were praying, somebody was, had his hand on his shoulder. All of a sudden, there was this pop, and his jaw popped back into place. 
all the pain went away without anyone even touching him in, uh, in just a moment. Another guy, uh, Truman Kemp, he, uh, he'd been battling, again, severe headaches for months and months and months, seeing a neurologist, um, can't figure out what's going on. I actually just prayed with him after a service one time. He was telling me how he was hurting. I said, well, let's pray. Um, prayed for him. I actually, I, I got the sense that it was some sort of demonic oppression that was attacking him. And so I rebuked any dark or unclean spirits. As I was praying, he said, I felt all of a sudden it was like the, something was pounding in my head. It was like boom, boom, boom. And then it stopped. And he went home and nothing changed. The next morning he woke up and all the pain was gone. Hasn't come back at all. Hasn't need to see another doctor. We've had uh, folks with clinical depression. They've been you know, seeing psychiatrists on medication. We've seen folks healed of clinical depression like this. One lady, uh, a prominent real estate agent in Charleston by the name of Helen Gear. She has a testimony uh, that she can share about that. Gone in just a moment of prayer. We've had folks healed of years of spine pain. Um, one of the coolest is, is a story from maybe three years ago. A lady came from uh, Bishop Gadsden to one of our days of healing prayer. And she'd been in the psych ward at MUSC a couple weeks before, suicidal. She was an older lady. Her husband had died seven years before. And for whatever reason, she'd been racked with guilt uh, from that moment. She just felt that somehow she had not taken care of her husband the way that she should have. That somehow it was her fault. And so she had all this guilt and was suicidal. That's why she was in the psych ward. So um, she came to us to receive prayer. We prayed for her for maybe five minutes. Uh, nothing happened that I could tell. Uh, but she went home that night. And she had a dream. And she dreamed of her husband for the first time in seven years. And uh, she saw him standing in the doorway. And he was healthy. He was happy. He was smiling. And he said one thing. He said, Jane, you don't have to hurry. I'll be waiting for you. And then she woke up. And the funny thing is that in life, this man had been a very impatient guy. So this was not like him at all. But as she woke up, all the, the guilt, all the fear, all the anxiety was all gone in, in a moment. And so I believe that God can do big things, as we see in the book of Acts. That he's the same God yesterday and today and, and tomorrow. And that he delights to love and to bless his children. So this um, claim that prayer changes things, it leads us to the question, does, does God always answer our prayers? And I would say yes. Um, but sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's may, uh, wait. And I think we can probably understand the, the yes and the wait. It's the no. that Sometimes it's hard to, to wrap our minds around. And we actually see that in the book of Acts. Um, if you look in chapter 12, 
it's very fascinating. There are the two apostles, James and Peter, and very intense, stressful things happen to each of them, and there's two very different outcomes. Can anyone remember what those different outcomes are? James gets his head cut off by King Herod. He's imprisoned and he's executed. Peter is miraculously led out of prison by the angel. And we read that the community of faith is praying earnestly in that moment. So why, why did James die? Why did Peter live? I don't know. I have no idea. And I have... Prayers in my life that have not been answered. Uh, some prayers for family members who've died in uh, pretty tragic ways. And I don't know, it's heartbreaking. God, why? What, what's going on? But what I have found is that um, as I've journeyed through unanswered prayers, that it's actually okay to live with the mystery. I don't need to have all the answers in this life. I know without a shadow of a doubt that some of my family members who've gone before me, I know that I will see them one day and I'll have all the answers for why they suffered, why they died the way they did. I'm absolutely sure of that. And having that assurance allows me to kind of hold on to the unanswered questions loosely. To say, God, I don't get it, but I'm going to keep following you, I'm going to keep trusting, I'm going to keep praying. And one day I will know fully. And I found that, um, that prayer actually helps you through the unanswered and the painful moments of life. Another key piece, a key element of prayer uh, that we see in the book of Acts is... Um, Praying corporately, not just praying with our, by ourselves in our prayer closets, which is very good and very important, but actually getting together with, with other believers, being of one accord. We see that time and, and time again. So I'd encourage you, um, if you don't have a prayer partner, somebody where you can just get together once a week for an hour and just pray together for the various things going on in your life and their life, find a prayer partner. If your prayer life is dry, what, what's, what's the solution to having a dry prayer life? We all have them various times. What's, what's the solution to having a dry prayer life where it just feels like you're not connecting? There may be a number of solutions, things to explore, try, experiment. There's a lot of freedom in, uh, in our faith life. But one thing would be pray with somebody whose prayer life isn't dry. Get, to some, get together with somebody who is really moving in the flow of the Holy Spirit. It's contagious. You'll learn some new things. They'll, they'll help you to, to go deeper. It's, it's not rocket science. So reach out. Uh, you know, find friends to, to really seek the Lord with. It's tremendously powerful. Since I started doing this a couple weeks ago, I have a buddy. We get together um, once a week. Uh, my whole life has changed. I can't explain it doing it for maybe three or four years and I'm in such a better place from doing something so simple I cannot explain it except that when two or three are gathered together in his name 
There's real power there. In closing, I've um, experienced this in my own life um, in a moment of crisis as well. I, uh, in 2013, my wife and I were pregnant with our first son, and uh, at our 30th week checkup, we received the kind of news that you, you never want to hear, that something is uh, drastically wrong with the pregnancy. And it turns out when they were doing the ultrasound and the measurements, um, our son had been in the 50th percentile at week 20, and he dropped all the way down to the 5th percentile at week 30. And so something was severely restricting uh, his nutrition, the, the blood flow through the umbilical cord, and they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what the um, long-term effects of this might be. It was absolutely terrifying. So my wife and I we were just kind of shell-shocked. What, what do we do with this? Um, finally, we kind of came to our senses a little bit and said, well, one thing we can do is just reach out to our friends and ask them to pray. And so I sent an email out to our prayer ministers at St. Michael's and just shared, this is what's going on, don't know what to do, uh, need your prayers. What was remarkable is that within a few minutes of sending that email, all of a sudden, Katie and I both, we began to feel a sense of peace. Couldn't explain it. Circumstances hadn't changed. We knew people were praying, and we began to feel a measure of peace. So we, um, we went through that weekend. On Sunday morning, I was out on the sidewalk greeting folks after church. Um, unbeknownst to me, a parishioner of St. Michael's had grabbed my wife, brought her up in front of the altar in the church, and with 30 other parishioners had laid hands on her and prayed for her and the baby. All this was totally spontaneous. I didn't know what was going on. That Monday, we went back to the doctor, did all the ultrasounds and measurements. The doctor walks into our room, and the first thing they say is, you must have been doing some praying over the weekend because all the, the, the measurement of the blood flow had gotten better, which rarely happens. They were amazed, even with their medical expertise, and we were able then to ride that, um, that progress, that healing, that improvement for another seven weeks until Katie was able to deliver a, a healthy baby boy. And today, you'd have no idea uh, what he had been through in the womb. He's running around. He's wild and crazy. And so again, um, the power of community when, Pete, when the body of Christ comes together in prayer, amazing things happen, and we need each other. In closing, flowing from intimacy with God, uh, flowing from praise, um, flowing from corporate prayer together, as well as confession. And I, I'm running out of time. I had a little piece on confession and repentance as well. Uh, but that's also critical. Um, flowing from all this stuff, where do we go with prayer? We're doing all these things. Where do we go? Where does Jesus call us to go? Does he say, stay in your churches and pray together in your four walls? Hunker down? No, he says, hit the roads, hit the highways and the byways. 
Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the ends of the earth. We're actually called to be priests, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We're called to be a people of blessing. So wherever we go, we're blessing people, praying for people, interceding. We see this in the book of Acts. We see it, you know, Peter and John walking along. They see a lame beggar. They pray for him. Uh, Philip uh, sees the Ethiopian eunuch. They pray. He comes to salvation, is baptized. The, the little girl with demons is calling out at the apostles and being really dis- distracting and obnoxious. They stop and deliver her. We're meant to be praying wherever we are and whatever we go. Um, something we've, we've done at St. Michael's, and I just encourage you to try it out, is we do uh, regular prayer walks where we go around our city, downtown Charleston, the different shops, the different residential areas, and our purpose is simply to bless our city. So we walk around uh, blessing the businesses. We go into businesses. We say, we love our city. We're from St. Michael's. We want our city to flourish. Is there anything we can bless you with? And most of the times they say, yeah. We bless uh, strangers, policemen, firemen, uh, frat boys, um, whoever we can see. We just stop them on the road. We're going for a prayer walk. Anything we can bless you with. And the response is astounding. Oftentimes people are in desperate places and they need, uh, they need a blessing. They need a prayer. So I just encourage you, um, think big. Expand your horizons. There's people all over this great city of Florence that need Jesus, that need salvation, and that need somebody to pray for them. Can we um, practice it for a moment? Can you go there with me, just a little, a little exercise? Why don't we all stand up real quick, in closing. I've gone way too long, I apologize. Forgive me. Um, one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible is uh, the famous blessing in number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It may be the most repeated prayer throughout history other than the Lord's Prayer. It's so simple and it's so powerful. It's basically, may you flourish and know God in all the ways he's created you to know him. May you live into your destiny. And so, um, why don't we just practice on each other? I encourage you, find a partner. As, like, physically, like, grab somebody, find a partner. And we're going to take turns just blessing each other. So everybody needs a partner. Face each other. Be friendly. Don't be strangers. Face each other. And I just want to remind you, Jesus Christ loves the person you are facing so much. He died for them. And so I just invite you to open your eyes and open your heart to see this person with the love of Jesus. And I'm going to have one person go first. We're going to take turns. The first time one person is going to repeat after me and the other person is going to receive the blessing. So one person is going to be the prayer and the other the receiver, and then we're going to switch. And just repeat after me. Bless them with the love of Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. 
Now switch it up. We're going to take turns. Again, look in their eyes. Love them with the love of Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Amen. Well done. You may be seated. Great job. Great job. God's peace.